Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the... Un- Pamia? Voice. All right. Uh, my name is Nassie. Now you can't use that. No. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the enterprise editor at the Times. You want me to read the whole thing over? No. Is that all right? All right. Today's topic. <laughs> it would have been all right. Start again for my name. <laughs> Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at The Times. Today's topic, coaching your editor. We're going to talk about some pointers from Lane, and if you're a reporter who says a lot of amen while listening to this, you might want to nicely suggest to your boss that he or she will enjoy this episode. And the next one, because Lane has so many pointers that we're not going to cover them all in one podcast. But first, we're going to answer some questions that were emailed recently by Kevin, a writer in New York. One question for Lane is about the general give and take involved as a feature writer working with editors. How important to you, Lane, is preserving your author's voice? I mean, I think that's important, uh, but I've never really had an editor try to stamp that out of me completely. I've, I've always thought about it more as like a partnership with my... I've been, I should say from the beginning, I've been very lucky with my editors. Early on, I had some editors that I did not like and did not trust, and then I was like, oh God, I don't want to give my copy to them. But Pretty, for the bulk of my career, I've been really blessed with really, really good editors. And so it's always felt much more like a um, collaborative process than a, oh, my God, they're going to ruin it for me. You know, they're going to take all my good stuff out. I mean, I got to the point where I learned to pick and choose what to argue for, you know, and, and pick my battles. Um, instead of fighting for every single word or fighting for every single point, I, I realized that, no, most of the time they probably are right. Um, that's why they're the editor. <laughs> But if there's things I feel super passionate or super strongly about, um, then I will fight for that. You know, I think voice, though, um, editors love voice. So if your writer's voice is good, I think usually they're not going to want to stamp it out of you. And if they tell you that it's not working, then there's a reason and you want to know why. But I think it's important not to just go, okay, or screw you. (laughs) It's important to work through that with the writer, the editor about why didn't that work or why did that work, you know, or or if this isn't the way – you want me to convey something, help me figure out what it is. Don't just send me back by myself into the dark cave and figure it out on my own. You know? I think giving the editor's perspective here, I think as a young editor, it's always a struggle to not want to edit the way you would write. Um, and you have to fight that instinct because it's so second nature to you. It's like, I would say it differently, or I might say it differently. And so I think you have to, you have to learn how to, how to edit in that writer's voice and try, or, or, you know, sometimes just send things back and say, look, this is, I'm stumbling over this or, but I want you to do it. I'm not going to fix it. I just, but I want, this is where I'm having problems. So 
um, a lot of you guys who are out there listening, if you're having, you might have an editor who's just getting started or hasn't been doing it for long, and it's not that they're, you know, they they need some time to get better at it too. And I think that that is tricky. It's a hard thing to to learn to do. Well, and that's one reason I realized I was not going to be a good editor because I did. I did it for a couple years and I edited. Well, I was young when I did it, but every story that I edited, I wanted to rewrite and make it my own. And I was like, I just wished I'd done that reporting. I wish, wished I'd done that interviewing. And it was much more selfish about me wanting to make the story mine instead of helping the writer with their story. And I realized that's not a good mindset for an editor. Did you sound like an old fogey like that, just like that when you were editing? <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> Kevin also asks whether you have ever fought it out over using specific adjectives. Oh, I think adjectives are kind of overrated. <laughs> I think, you know, one good adjective goes a long way. And I, I try to, I used to write with a lot more adjectives and adverbs and clauses than I do now. I, I appreciate editors that will help me uh, edit myself out of the adjective uh pile sometimes and and a lot of times it's fun to talk things through like that with an editor you know like I'll know sometimes if the word's not exactly the word I was looking for and sometimes I'll even highlight it or put it in italics because I'll I'll know there's a better word for it I just can't come up with it at that point in time and I think editors I had one editor at the um at the pilot who used to say you should always edit in one mistake I always put one mistake in there so the editors feel like they're doing something helpful you know but I think if you're truly you don't do that do you oh no I don't anymore because <laughs> I trust you <laughs> But I, I think, you know, it, it, editors want to be needed, too. And if you truly don't have the right words or verbiage or ad, adverb or adjective for something, let your editor know that and work on it together. You know, it's super fun to collaborate on that stuff. I think uh, as an editor, too, I, when I was starting out, I think we I overused adjectives, too. I, I think there's a tendency sometimes to think that you're being there's more description or you're or you're doing there's more of a flourish and and really I think we both like simplicity. We both like how the story is just uh, almost the simpler the better. The sentences are moving along and you're not stopping people and they're not having to work very hard. And, and, and a word that might seem jarring is all of a sudden there. You know, so there, I'm not sure why you're fighting over adjectives, but sometimes it's, it's that, you know, whether, whether you need it really. Right. Le I think less is more when yeah. it comes to a lot of that. And I think one of the things that I aired at, and I don't know if you guys struggle with this too, is physical description. I used to spend a heck of a lot of time trying to describe somebody physically, which is really difficult. And that's when a lot of adjectives come in too, you know? And then I was like, I have this beautiful picture that the photographer took that's going to go right above my words. I don't need to do that. You know, I can give you a one word description that says the lady in the blue coat. And all of a sudden, that's all you need to see through me because you got the photograph of her right there, you know? So I've, I've learned to like not spend a lot of time doing that. Although I do think you called Stormy busty. Right. Stormy she, Daniels. She had was, some she adjectives. Was, yeah, yeah. So I think she had some adjectives. <laughs> um, one last one from Kevin. He asks, was it ever or is it now, question mark, exclamation point, hard to trust editors' judgment over more subjective things? It entirely depends on the editor. I mean, there there are editors, including you and including Mike, my, my most recent two editors who've been with me for the past 20 years, I trust implicitly. I mean, I would trust with... I love when... when good editors fix my stories. I've been doing this 30 years. I've won prizes. I love being edited. I don't want to ever feel like what I'm turning in is the way it ought to be. I, I love that collaborative process. But when I was younger, yeah, there were some editors that I felt were editing errors into my stories or making um, assumptions that weren't there. Um, one of my first editors got fired over a headline that he put on my story that I fought with him about. That's not true. 
and he said, oh, well, it sounds true enough, you know, or something like that. It was it was a story about a, um, a sheriff's candidate who admitted that he took a $20,000 payment to vote to fill in some wetlands so a Walmart could be built. And the editor wrote a headline on it that said, sheriff's deputy admits to accepting bribe. And I said, I asked him 20 times, why did you take the bribe? And he kept saying it wasn't a bribe, it was a payment. And I mm-hmm. said, okay, it's a payment for your vo- for your vote. That's a bribe. Nope, wasn't a bribe. Nope, wasn't a bribe. So we went back and forth over this verbiage on the headline. And the editor said, um, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. We're going to call it a bribe. But the problem was it said he admitted to taking a bribe. It didn't say oh. he took a bribe. It said he admitted to taking a and bribe. And he didn't And he that. never admitted to taking a bribe. So my editor, the, the candidate sued the paper. My editor got fired. They had this big, giant town hall meeting. I think I was 23. I thought, oh, I'm going to go wait tables the rest of my life. I'm never going to have a job in journalism. And the editor of the paper at the time called me. from. He was on vacation. And he said, I don't blame you. I understand from your editor what the process was that went through. But why didn't you stop the train? Why didn't you pull the emergency brake and call somebody above him or, you know, in the I was in a bureau, like in the downtown office and tell them this was happening. And I didn't feel like I had the autonomy to do that at that time. I didn't feel like I had the autonomy to go above or around my editor and question him. But yes. So that was a long answer to the question. But um, if if you don't trust your editor, I guess the pay, pay dirt from that is find another editor, you know, if you can. If you can. And, you know, if, if you can't. Um, or I, even to talk to, even if it's not shopping to be your permanent editor. Right. I've always had, like, secret editors. You know, I think most good writers who care about that have somebody who's not their immediate supervisor that they shop their stories to and talk about them with. Um, I was going to suggest, too, that I think uh, a lot of these questions say to me that you're doing a lot of editing sitting in front of a screen and fighting over the words. Um, and maybe it would help to talk a little bit outside of those stories and away from those stories, individual stories, and talk about some of the patterns that, you know, you're seeing and maybe that person is seeing and sort of try to try to meet meet on common ground away from individual battles. Because I think in the heat of the moment, it's kind of hard and everybody gets uh, sometimes in their corners instead Especially of... on deadlines. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, half if not two-thirds of the really good editing comes before I even start to write. Right, exactly. You know? So the conversation, having a conversation about what you're trying to accomplish here and with this story. I think most of the writers I've known who've been really frustrated with their editors is because they don't have those conversations early on. You know, they go out and report a story and sit down and write it and then give it to them and then the editor changes it and gives it back. But... Especially the question about voice that he asked, you know, if I'm going to try a voice in my story, I want you to know before I start right. to write that I'm going to try to write it like this so that you're not surprised. Exactly. You know? Is that right? And then that puts the editor on their heels and then, yeah. You're on the same bad page. Thing, bad things can happen from there. So <laughs> unless you talk about it. Um, so moving on to Lane's advice for editors, or I should say, this is what you want from an editor to be successful, right? So uh, first up, she says. I have to say, I didn't write this for Maria. <laughs> Somebody asked me to write, like, what would you want out of an editor? Said so this was this was no reflection on my wonderful editor. She had to tell me what some of these were. So that's, <laughs> yeah, okay. That's where we are. Um, first up, you say, don't laugh. This one I understood. Don't laugh. So don't laugh when you come in with a brilliant idea. Right? Or a zany idea. You know, I, I love the... Um, permission that you give me and that Mike gave me to like sort of throw anything out there at the wall and then you're going to tell me what's good and what's not you know I think Mike probably rejected seven out of ten story ideas which is horribly painful but also 
really empowering because then I know the ones that you want me to do are really good. Right. You know, I have a billion million ideas and I, I admit more than anybody that not half of them are good. You know, I just want to try it, you know. But I, I think if you're a successful editor, you want to reward curiosity and you want to you want people to be coming at you with a lot of things because you're right. Not all of them are going to be no matter who it is. Not all of them are going to be great. And you want to seize on the ones that are really good. But you, you don't want to dry that that well. So if you if you act like you're not interested, then people are going to stop offering up ideas, right? Right. And also, if I can say, you know, some of the zanier ones, I'll be like, just let me try it for a day. You know, I'm not asking for a month or, you know, right. just give me a day. And if it doesn't work, who cares? It's a day lost, you know. Which which will lead us here to the quest for breasts. So why don't you, uh, why don't you read from the beginning of that story that will, or it's, I think that's may not be the beginning, but it's a piece of it that will sort of set up. And then you could talk a little bit about that idea. Okay, yeah, this this came about, there was a, um, a brief in the paper, you know, like the, the little things to do on the weekend, and they were having a contest um, at a bar, and whoever made the best pitch for why they should get new boobs was going to get a free boob job. So most of the people that came out that night were in their 20s, and then there was a woman there who was about my age who had just turned 40, and I was like, okay, you know, we're talking in a previous podcast about looking for characters. She completely stood out in this line of young women at this bar. Um, and this was the beginning. Kenya Humphrey wants new boobs. Not big ones, not traffic stoppers. She just wants to be a decent C cup again, the way she was before she nursed her babies, before she turned 40, before she became a grandmom. She knows she doesn't have much of a shot. Somebody here at Shepherds on Clearwater Beach is going to win free breast augmentation surgery tonight. But Humphrey thinks the judges will prefer the younger, flashier women, the belly ringed Barbies. Still, she has to try. She's wanted this for so long. Maybe if the judges knew her story, knew what else she has lost, maybe they would look beyond her size 10 jeans. Maybe then the crowd wouldn't boo her. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So that was only a day, right? Take a chance, go to that. That was one night, and she did not win the boob job, but the next day after the story came out, the surgeon offered her a free boob job as well because he did read her story oh, and he did feel for her. Go. So yes, I helped Kenya get new boobs. <laughs> a happy ending. <laughs> okay, number two, you say run interference for me. Yeah, I've been a GA reporter now for like the past, or general assignment reporter for the past 20 years. So I haven't had the luxury of a beat where you or the burden of a beat, I guess, if you look at it that way, too, where you develop sources and you have people that are coming to you and you have certain stories you have to cover. Um, so a lot of the stories that I find or the ideas that I have that I want to pursue are on somebody else's beat. And <clears throat> it's really hard to go up to the medical writer and go, I have this really great medical story, but I want to do it. I don't want you to do it. I want to do it, you know. So I really love when my editors say, okay, that's a great story. Let me call the medical writer's editor and talk it through with them so that you don't have to do that brokering and you don't have to make enemies in the newsroom because this is why they pay us the big bucks as editors, right? Like, <laughs> like have it come down from Wait, the top. Wait, what? <laughs> 
I, I think that helps so much. It, it, it's it's happened for me lots and lots and lots, and it really takes a lot of burden off of, and, and gives me a lot of permission to think about it, stories I might not have wanted to pitch otherwise because I didn't want to step on somebody's toes. I mean, I'm always pitching stories for other people too, and I've learned to not mind if the editor says, oh, that's a good story, but let me give it to so-and-so. Like The ones I really want, I'll fight for, but I think sometimes... You know, you have enough ideas to go around, um, but sometimes you need someone to say, I think Lane's the person to do this story. See, and I, I look at that pointer, and I think you're also talking about making sure that if you're a mid-level editor, that you're communicating with other people around the room about what your folks are working on so that, you know, Lane disappears for a couple of weeks and somebody doesn't say, well, what's going on? What are they doing? You know, that you, you're, you're helping the, the rest of the room to understand what your, what your folks are involved in, so... Yes. I mean, that's huge because you don't want everybody going like, where is she? Why isn't she doing anything? You know, and it's also running interference in terms of, OK, they thought they were going to have this story for Sunday. But if I gave Lane two more days, it might be really kick right, butt. Exactly. So get me an extra couple days on there, you know. You say, uh, look into my eyes and eyes, not the kind on your head, but the letter I, which means first person. Um, I mean, I think we we blab a lot to our editors about our lives, or at least I do. <laughs> I always think about my poor editors being a therapist half the time. And and when I'm telling them something about um, something in my life or my world that really resonates, I don't ever, I'm one of those reporters who never thinks of writing about myself or my own life. I, I don't ever think like my story is better than the one that I'm working on. And there have been a few times where my editors have said, oh my God, that's a great story. Shut up and go write it. And I would be like, that's not a story. That's my story, you know, or my tendency is, well, let me find somebody else going through the same thing because I don't want to turn the mirror around and write about me. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I've been, in retrospect, really proud of a few first-person stories that I've done because I, I know me better than anybody. And if I want to resonate something, write something that I think is going to resonate with other people, it's, it's so... Um, it's not easy, but it's almost joyous to be able to share my own experience with people that, that I know that they might have gone through something similar to connect with. But I need a lot of encouraging, and I think a lot of reporters, especially news reporters, need encouragement to go, you have a good story, too. You have a story that you can tell that nobody else can tell, and your story about your grandmother is going to hit with everybody who's ever had a grandmother, you know? But you're right. People need the permission to tell it, or they, yeah. or they won't feel empowered to tell it and... And we're not used to going personal with ourselves. We're not used to, to peeling it back there. And then I feel the sorriest for the poor editors who have to edit those first-person stories because that's a whole different level of, like, feeling invaded or, you know. Um, another thing you say is, make me wait. Yeah, I think, I mean, this doesn't work for everybody who's chasing the news, and the poor guys on the web desk can't have this luxury. But a lot of times, um, you know, when there's a, a news event that happens, um, it's really nice for the editor to go, okay, let's wait a, a, a week, a month, and come back and revisit something when you can put it in more context, when your people can think about what they've gone through, when the police tape is cleared and the blood's been wiped up and, you know, the first police report's been made, then we can go back and try to, to figure out the story behind this, the story behind the news. Another thing you say is, um, and we all know this, uh, size matters. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's really helpful to me to know from the beginning whether you're looking for, you know, a, a weekender at 50 inches or you're looking for a quick turnaround at 10 inches. So to to know what my 
framework is before I even start reporting. I'm going to report very differently for a 10-inch story than I am for a 100-inch story. Um, and it helps for the editor to help broker that down. I, I love, you know, if I know I have only a certain amount of words to fill, it's, it's totally stressful to me, but at least I know what's expected. Yeah, that wasn't what you all thought it was, was it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's an important point, too, about because I think if you need to get on the same page about what it is you're trying to do. So you don't want to have your editor thinking, oh, this is a quick turn. You're going to spend a couple days. And the reporter's thinking, oh, no, this is my Pulitzer. You know, I need to be there for a year. Um, right. Yeah. So you're just help just agree on what you're trying to do with, with a particular topic. And be flexible enough that if something comes up along the way, right. you know, you can change it. But to know from the moment you set out to do your reporting, you'd be on the same page is really helpful. And you say, uh, get me out of here. Yeah, send me walking me. And I mean, I, I think too many reporters get real comfortable at their desk or, you know, on their cell phones doing all the reporting or poking around on the computers, looking at documents and stuff. And I, I love when my editors will say, like, just go out there and follow this story. Go out there and find a story. I mean, yeah, I remember a couple of times where you there was nothing going on. And you're like, well, go find a story. Get out of here. You know, and just having the permission to go look at your community for a couple hours or a day and, and see what's out there that's not something you've been directed toward, you know, or that you're obligated to cover is and really it, important. I mean, don't you think a lot of people struggle with that because we're not used to that. We're not used to being told, just go find a story. And we're, used to pit, we're used to having it pitched at us and things coming at us, but not the other way around. Yeah. And I think a lot of reporters feel guilty about that, mm. you know, don't want to take it a, a half a day or a day right. to go just poke around, you know. So um, we'll, we'll end talking about the storm chaser. Talk about the storm chaser a little bit, which you had to get out for the storm chaser. Well, initially it was a story um, that was like do a phoner. And it, who so, wanted you to do a phoner? <laughs> because it was like the hurricane was coming. It was like so we had four hurricanes in one year here in Florida. And this was about the fourth one. And um Every time the CN, the Weather Channel guy who covered it was always the same guy, Jim Cantori, that everybody called the hurricane hunk. And so I wanted to write a story about the hurricane hunk coming back to Florida for the fourth time. And the editor was like, okay, great. Call the Weather Channel. Get a phone interview before he comes. Let's have it. You know. And I was like, no, I I want to be there when he comes. Well, they didn't want to wait because they wanted – and this was not Mike. This was another editor, um, I should just say. <laughs> but they, they didn't want to wait. They wanted the story to say he's going to be on Panama Beach tomorrow, which therefore signals to the readers, oh, the hurricane's definitely going to hit Panama Beach because wherever Jim Cantori landed was where the hurricane was going to come. Um, and so I got in a, a big fight with him, and I said, no, I have to be there. I want to see the hurricane hunk on the sand while he's reporting. And I bought my own plane ticket, and I flew up on this little prop plane from Tampa to Panama Beach and met Jim Cantori at the a little like best western or comfort in or wherever it was he was um and wanted to be there with him to ride the storm out because it was a very different story than he's going to be at panama beach i wanted to say like here's what it's like on panama beach i with was him. gonna say it does it has a completely different focus than that so read read uh, from the that's i think that's the beginning of the story right there he walks down the beach holding his microphone his teva sandals slapping the rain pocked sand wind tugs the brim of his storm stories baseball cap White foam skips across the waves. The sky is bruised. Dark clouds sweep in from the south. Ten seconds, he hears through the wire in his left ear. Enough time to adjust the black t-shirt over his gym-built biceps. Four seconds. He sets his jaw, turns his back to the storm. Two, he stares into the camera. One, and... You can look behind me here and see the rain bands coming in, he tells a million television viewers, arcing his right arm along the shore so they can see. 
This thing is still a long way away from us, but once it makes that turn, it could start to speed up. We'll continue to track Hurricane Ivan as it heads closer, and we'll keep you posted. He nods gravely. For now, I'm meteorologist Jim Cantori, reporting live from Panama City Beach for the Weather Channel. Cantori and his crew have been following Ivan across Florida for days. The weatherman is sick of waiting, tired of working 18-hour shifts, ready to get off the road. He's worrying about a much bigger storm back home. So, um... I, wherever I can, I've, we're, we're including links um, to all these stories. As you're listening to the podcast, you can go find the link and read the story. Uh, this one was interesting because it was not really at all what you expect when you're, you know, it really was about Jim Cantori at home and kind of what his life was like and the challenges of his family. And um, It took a total turn. I was going to say, you total didn't know turn. any of that, no, did you? No, no, no. In fact, I was going to end that story when he signed off that night after his 11 o'clock broadcast, and the girls from Hooters next door were bringing him beers and wings. And, and I thought, okay, that's the ending for the story. And then he was like, oh, we're going to go up and have some beers in our room. Do you want to come up with me? And I'm like, okay, I get to go to the hotel room with the hurricane hunk and drink beers? Like, who's going to say no to that, you know? So I'd kind of put my, pa- my paper and my pad away, and um, like, there's a cameraman and a producer, and Jim Cantore and me, and we go up to the um, hotel room, and he's like, excuse me for, like, we open the beers, and he's like, you gotta excuse me for a second, I gotta make a phone call. And it's just one of those little rinky-dink hotel rooms, so he's like lying on a bed across on one side of the room, and I'm sitting on a bed on the other side of the room, and the camera guy's like, doing the beers and the wings I'm making small talk whatever and I look over at Jim Cantori and he's crying he's on the phone on his bed and he's crying and he's saying oh honey I'm so so sorry I'm, I don't know when I'll be home I'm sorry I can't be there I don't mean to leave you alone like that I'm so sorry honey and he gets off the phone and he's like wiping his tears and he's apologizing and he's like I'm sorry I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff at home I'm, I'm really sorry and I was like first you don't have to be sorry but second do you want to talk about it you know and, and I didn't like push him into it but I was like do you want to talk about it because he kind of seemed like he did you know and it kind of seemed like maybe he wouldn't want to talk about it with his camera people because you know those who's close to them but he wasn't bringing it up with them and he's like well actually I'm going through a lot and he started telling me this story about his wife was home with their two little kids and she had multiple sclerosis and it was getting worse and worse and she was now confined to a wheelchair and she tried to make dinner for her kids that night and she had made salmon and she pulled it out of the broiler and her arms were so weak she couldn't hold the pan with the salmon and she dropped their dinner on the floor and there was no one there to help and he'd been gone for a month already and didn't know when he was going to come home so I was like do you think she'd let you talk about that story and he was like I don't know let's ask her and so he calls her back, like right there in the hotel room, still like wiping his tears from telling me the story and puts me on the phone with his wife. And she says, you know, like, well, I've been thinking I need to be more of an advocate for this issue for a long time. So maybe this is the time. Okay. And I was like completely blown away. And the story completely took a different turn. And she did become an advocate and ended up making a lot of money for research. That's great. So for uh, you young reporters who are listening to this podcast, so uh, and you wonder, you want to be like Lane DeGregory, you have to follow Jim Cantori back to his room. When he asks you, if you want to come upstairs, you got to go upstairs. Not to do anything weird, mind you, just to follow the story, okay? Um, Next week, we'll have more advice from Lane to editors. She, She does have a lot to say on this topic, so join us then. If you have a question for Lane or if you want to uh, give us a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.